Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I've been a middle and high school teacher as well as a teacher of future and current teachers and I love a good story. And I love to explore ways to help students live out great stories and for educators to thrive in their own. That's what we talk about in this podcast. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom? All right, well, so thanks for listening to the show today. You might be on spring break right now, or maybe you're listening right after spring break, or maybe you're still looking forward to spring break, or maybe you live in a different part of the world and you don't even have a spring break. But whatever you're doing, I'm honored that you would take the time to listen to this. I want to tell you a little story from when I was in 11th grade. So when I was in the 11th grade, doing well in school was the last thing on my mind. I was a high energy, high passion kid. And it turns out boredom and a lot of energy isn't always a great recipe. I mean, I grew up in Florida and literally my favorite thing to do in the whole world was to tromp around in swamps barefoot and catch snakes and alligators. Seriously, you can find videos on YouTube of it. I mean, I'm like the original Florida man, but my mind was always on adventures when I was a kid and and getting to be out and doing what I wanted. And it was defined by freedom and mosquitoes and alligators. And a little of that energy was very rarely dedicated to school. And so most of the time I was letting all of that pent up energy loose in my classes. If you're a teacher, you know all about kids like me. And I swear every time I've had a student with lots and lots of energy in my own classroom that he reserves solely for my classroom, it feels like I'm getting payback for all of those years of just terrorizing the teachers that allowed me to terrorize them. And in my English class in 11th grade of high school, I was borderline obnoxious sometimes, talking out of turn, constantly trying to make jokes, playing pranks, and absolutely getting on my teacher's nerves. Now, I don't excuse that behavior at all. It was out of line, but that was me in high school. And that English teacher, Mr. Baker was his name, had more patience than I can imagine. And he was constantly trying to redirect me in the most gentle way possible. And for some reason, it just wasn't working. Can you relate to this guy at all? I mean, I know I can, and it's frustrating. It is so hard when you have best practices for classroom management that you know work with most students. I mean, you know that stern look to make or that hallway conversation that needs to be had or even that honest plea that can get most students back on board and back on task. But then you have a couple students like 16-year-old Trevor who are just harder to manage, and it can be unbelievably frustrating. Well, one of my favorite things that I used to do in school is I'd take other students' backpacks and I would flip them inside out. I'd take all the contents out, stuff all their stuff back in it, and then zip them up from the inside so that when they found their bag, they would be inside out and there'd be no straps there and be all frustrated and have to carry their bag all awkwardly with their books on the outside to their next class. It was a great prank, and I don't recommend anybody doing it. But that is something I like to do. And one time I felt a little extra bold, and so... So when Mr. Baker wasn't looking, 
I went and took his backpack and I did the exact same thing to it. I, I took out my teacher's stuff and I zipped it all back in once his bag was inside out. And some kid in class caught me doing it and he went and told Mr. Baker on me. Again, by the way, I just want to reiterate in case anybody gets any ideas. I don't excuse any of this behavior, but this is what happened. And Mr. Baker busted me. And I could see this dim fire burning in his eyes as he asked me to hang out in his room for a minute once everyone left. And I thought to myself, okay, maybe I took it a little too far this time. So when all of the other students left the room, Baker stared me down for a solid minute and made me wait in the uncomfortable silence. The whole time I thought, this guy is either going to suspend me or he's going to hit me. Either was on the table at this moment. And then after just making me sit there for a minute, he finally said, Have you ever read any Stephen King? <laughs> Extremely perplexed, I said, No, Mr. Baker, I don't really like reading which was very true. I hadn't really read for pleasure since middle school when I fell in love with The Hatchet by Gary Paulson. But he responded, he said, well, Stephen King wrote this book, The Stand, and it's 1,153 pages long. And I want to make a deal with you, Trevor. For the next month, I won't make you do any schoolwork in my class as long as you are reading this book and doing nothing else. You're not bothering anybody. You're not playing pranks. You're not, you're not doing anything but reading this book. And you don't have to do any classwork. Do we have a deal? Well, I looked at this towering book, which, let me tell you, if you haven't read The Stand by Stephen King, is absolutely massive. And I thought it would be impossible to get even through a few pages of this thing. I mean, it had really tiny font. But then I thought what it would be like to not have any schoolwork for an entire month. And so I shook Mr. Baker's hand, and I kind of reluctantly agreed to his deal. Then in his class, every day from then on, I started reading this giant book. And then I found myself reading it in the hallways in between classes. And then I got in trouble in geometry class for reading while the teacher was lecturing. And I got, and, and at home, I started locking myself in my bedroom for hours at a time, tearing through this 1,153-page book. And after finishing it in five days, I brought Mr. Baker's book back, and I asked him if all of Stephen King's books were like this. And I saw this, this wry smile show on his face, and he handed me the book, The Shining. And although I had started doing English classwork again, I kept reading these books whenever I got the chance. I now had this special bond with Mr. Baker. I mean, we, we would start talking about these books every day that I couldn't get enough of. And every single day, I started falling more and more love with books and reading and I started really liking this 11th grade teacher and then one day Mr. Baker said to me he said well uh, you have got to read this book it's called A River Runs Through It it's not Stephen King and it's not even a horror book but you're going to love it and at this point I trusted him and I devoured that book as well now let's fast forward 20 years 
and I can't go a day of my life without reading. I can't fall asleep at night without reading a few pages from a book. I've got this love affair with reading, and I credit that to an English teacher who used unconventional methods to engage his students. Now, there is a lot we can take away from this story. We can talk about the different ways teachers make connections with their students. We could discuss literacy and how it has this power to draw students in and engage them in brand new ways. Heck, we could just talk about why Stephen King writes the best books in the whole world. But let's zoom in on the unconventional for a moment. I'm not so sure Mr. Baker's technique of letting me take a whole week off of school would fly in any of the schools that I've ever worked in as a teacher myself. I'm not sure if the content in the stand aligns perfectly with the SAT test that I had to take later that year. Mr. Baker's pedagogy was unconventional and might not meet all of the standards on his teacher evaluation. But I don't care what anyone says. This English major who's making this podcast right now, this English teacher, this lover of reading and literature will tell you that it was effective. Mr. Baker needed this high energy kid to stop being a distraction in class and he wanted this apathetic learner to become a stronger, more motivated reader. And guess what? He achieved both of those. To me, this is an example of true personalized learning. The teacher made an evaluation, assessed what his students needed, and then created a learning experience that met those needs. What a gift it was to me as a young learner to have this skilled professional who knew how to adapt and exercise his creativity in this way. But it's true, this method was unconventional, and unconventional is often frowned upon. I used to do this lesson when I taught World War I to my students where I'd show up to class in a traditional British officer's uniform that I would rent from a costume shop in our town and we would make trenches out of the desks and I would lead my students through a paper ball battle with each other. I mean, we'd read and watch videos about trench warfare but then we'd simulate it. And then at, I'd pause the battle at certain times and students would write letters home to their loved ones. I'd call an armistice and give short lectures about why we were in battle and what this war was about. And my students would make a lot of noise and they'd have a lot of fun. It's, it's what is commonly known as controlled chaos. Well, several times people would be walking by my classroom on this day of the simulation and they would question the efficacy of my class. This kind of noise, this level of fun is pretty unconventional. Folks would sometimes come to my classroom from other schools to do a learning lab and observe me teach. And sometimes it would fall on the day that I would be doing this simulation and I would always have to explain the method behind the madness. And, and if I didn't get to explain that, People could very easily view this kind of classroom, this kind of learning experience as unproductive, as ineffective. But the thing is, if you ask those students about what they know about World War I or how they felt about history in English class, I bet you could determine that that lesson was effective, maybe even highly effective. I mean, not only did they learn the content that I and the state standards wanted them to learn, they also got to have these rich, positive, memory-forming experiences at school. 
which of course leads to higher engagement afterwards when the desks are put back to normal and we clean up all of the paper balls. It was unconventional, but again, there was method to the madness. So I guess the point of this podcast episode is to point out something that you probably already know. There's not really a one-size-fits-all to connecting with students. They are complex beings who have different needs. And as educators, our call is to discover what those needs are and then figure out how can we meet them. And I think this starts with being able to name the principal reason for why we do what we do. Why do kids come to school and what is the point of their teachers? Because once we know where we want our students to be, what the point of all this is, we can adjust our practices to get them there and be able to justify unconventional methods if we know that they are helping make that happen. Now, I can't speak for you, so take this as you will, but I think the answer to the objective of school is that we are trying to help students find success. And success can take on many different forms, especially as it relates to different content areas and subjects students are taking in school. But as an English teacher myself, one of the ways of measuring success in my classes is a love and appreciation of reading. If a student has developed that appreciation by the end of the year, then I have partly succeeded. And now knowing that that is one of the chief goals of my classroom, I can use the best practices and the unconventional practices necessary to get my students there. And the same can be said of any other subject area in any other grade level. I mean, if you teach an SAT prep class, the obvious measure of success would be your students doing well on the SAT. Great, that's the goal. Now let's use best practices to get them there. And that involves personalizing the learning experience. Some students might do well with lots of practice. Others might need to do some de-stressing techniques to get better at taking tests. I mean, there are great formative assessments and techniques to figure out what our students need. And we can spend some time on that in a future episode of this podcast to talk about what those can look like. But for now, I just want to point out that one of the chief tasks of all educators is to figure out what their students need and then use their expertise and skills and knowledge to meet those needs. That's what Mr. Baker did for me, and it had a profound effect on the rest of my life. I mean, I'm not so sure that effect can be quantified on a standardized test. I'm not so sure that that's going to show up on the end-of-year report for Mr. Baker's classroom, but that doesn't minimize the impact that brilliant teacher had on me and all of the other students in his class. So, Mr. Baker, if you're listening to this right now, Thank you for allowing me to take a month off of school. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. And if you're going on spring break soon, I hope it is restful and relaxing. My family is on spring break this week, and I have a whole lot of plans to do nothing. So I don't think there's going to be a new podcast next Monday. I'm going to take the week off, as I hope you will as well. But there will definitely be one the following week, so keep an eye out for that. If you want to check out my other work, you can go to my website at trevormuir.com where I post videos and my blog and ways for you to get in touch with me. I'm Trevor Muir, and this has been the Epic Classroom Podcast. Thank you for what you are doing to make learning into an unforgettable story for students, for discovering new ways to make learning epic. Epic.